strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen was on with Dana Bash on CNN and was talking about gas prices and the risk of increase and why that's happening. Just a little bit of what Secretary Yellen had to say. Well, it's a risk, and it's a risk that we're working on the price cap to try to address. This winter, the European Union will uh, cease, for the most part, buying Russian oil. And in addition, they will ban the provision of services that enable Russia to ship oil by tanker. And it is possible that that could cause a spike in oil prices. So we're going to talk about price caps in a moment. She goes on. She talks a little bit further about this price cap proposal with G7 nations. Our price cap proposal is designed to both lower Russian revenues that they use to support their economy and fight this illegal war, while also maintaining Russian oil supplies that will help to hold down global oil prices. So I believe this is something that can be essential, and it's something that we're trying to put in place to avoid a future spike in oil prices. So they want to cap the price of a barrel of oil, uh, the G7 nations. Um, Anybody remember a little place called Venezuela? Uh, 25 years ago or so, very oil rich. It still is very oil rich, but a very wealthy nation. And uh, it got to a point it was so bad in Venezuela, they were killing each other over garbage to eat. Uh, That's how bad it had gotten in Venezuela. They didn't even have the money to not just pull their own oil out of the ground, but refine it. They were broke. Um, Price caps. Uh, The idea that you're going to cap prices is uh, is funny. And I'll tell you why. Um, Because they will dry up production. And in the United States, we are not energy efficient or energy um, independent because we have restricted the profitability of oil companies. Now, I've seen the stories. I've seen the obscene profit stories that everybody else has seen. I've watched them. This is where this war doesn't make any sense. What I mean by war is this battle between our, uh, amongst ourselves over what's legitimate and what's not. You have the United States government that is taking in record revenue every month, and yet the Biden administration is raising taxes. The Inflation Reduction Act raises taxes. It employs 87,000 more um IRS agents to collect more taxes that they believe that they are owed. That's raising revenue. Nobody is talking about the obscene profits of the federal government or the obscene spending of the federal government. Whereas they go after private industry. I'll go one further, which we're going to talk about at length, I think, a little more about the idea of student loan forgiveness. We are we are trying to, to and I'm we are organizing a time. I want to speak with Dr. Crow over at Arizona State University. I've been very complimentary of the changes at, at Arizona State, the transformation of that university, especially over the last twenty years. And uh, but the idea that tuition has gotten more and more and more and more expensive, and it has, and no one is screaming at them, reduce your prices. What they're doing is subsidizing the university by loaning people money. And then forgiving the debt. 
No one is screaming at, at them, lower your prices, profiteering. You make too much money. It costs too much money to get an education. Lower the prices. This, this ideological battle doesn't make sense to me. So you're going to try to cap prices on oil. You know, there was an oil shortage, so to speak, back in the 1970s. It it was a fake oil shortage, and it ended up having gas lines around this country. And I was a little boy, so I wasn't driving then, but I remember the gas lines. If you try to cap the price of oil uh, or any product, you are going to have people in that industry say, no, thanks. We just won't do it. It, it's part of what's happening with American oil production. You want to know why diesel fuel is so high? They're not refining it fast enough to get it out there for the vehicles that need it. Why? Because the oil companies have no guarantee, long term or short term, that they're going to be around. So to invest billions of dollars to update their production capabilities and the refining capabilities and what it would take years and years and years for their shareholders to make that money back in that investment are just not there. So just like any other business, if you tell me you're going to run me out of business. Why in the world? It would be like it would be like um, the advent of cell phones and how cell phones transformed communication that you would be investing money in a beeper company. You know the beeper companies are going to be – what was his name? JJ, the king of beepers. Um, for those of you who remember those commercials, there was a time when he was the hottest thing in tech. What about CDs? People are not buying CDs now. DVDs. Netflix started out as Redbox where you rented DVDs out in front of a Circle K. They're still around, but that's not what they do. The world changed, and they're not going to reinvest in a product that is going to become obsolete. If the United States government is telling the production industries in oil and gas that we are going to run you out of business in short order, if California and seven other states are going to outlaw gas-powered vehicles, why would the oil and gas industry continue to reinvest billions of dollars to upgrade their plants and output and production increases? They're not going to. And now if you're going to tell the world we're going to cap the price of oil, we're not paying any more than this, they'll shut it down. They will reduce production. It is just the way it works unless you're going to do it forcibly. And that's what they did in Venezuela. And you look at the condition of Venezuela. Venezuela is a disaster compared to what they should be, what they could be, and what they were. And it's a shining example that if you're going to try in the interest of fairness, and that's the word that's always used, you destroy things. The rich are always going to get richer. The government in Venezuela and the higher ups that are connected to the government are still going to live high off the hog. The average person in that country is starving in the street. They are coming, they're leaving that country and trying to get here in droves, heartbroken to what's happened to their nation. So all in the interest of fairness and not enriching the Russians and everything else, you're going to see we are all going to pay a big price for this. This is going to be expensive. This is going to be expensive for all of us. What we're going to do in just a moment, the border crisis. Uh, Chuck Todd did an interview with the vice president of the United States. What she had to say, is the border secure? Wait until you hear her answer. It's all coming up in just a couple of moments. And strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 923 FM, and the KTAR News app. 
thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you spending some time with the show. Um, the border issue is one that everyone is paying attention to. Chuck Todd was in Arizona. Chuck Todd has been in Texas and has been talking about the border issue and spoke with the vice president about this, which I was very fascinated how this MSNBC interview was going to go. And I want you to hear a little bit about this. Um, I want you to hear Vice President Harris and a couple of the answers and how she explained these things because uh, – the vice president was asked directly by Chuck Todd, is the border secured? And let the word salad begin. The first request we make, pass a bill to create a pathway to citizenship. The border is secure, but we also have a broken immigration system, in particular over the last four years before we came in, and it needs to be fixed. Okay, that's the beginning of the word salad. So Chuck Todd presses her on this about whether or not the border is secure. We're going to have two million people cross this border for the first time ever. You're confident this border is secure? We have a secure border in that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. <laughs> Wait a minute. Let me let me. <laughs> we have a secure border in that it's a top priority. What in the what does that mean? It's it, it's a secure border in that it's a top priority. I, the word salad is just an amazing response. Two million people crossing the border for the very first time ever. So now, where do you think they go to next? I'll give you a second. What do you think will be the next reason out of the vice president's mouth why this problem is happening? There are still a lot of problems that we are trying to fix, given the deterioration that happened over the last four years. We also have to put in place a, 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 a law and a plan for a pathway for citizenship for the millions of people who are here and are prepared to do what is legally required. To gain citizenship. We don't have that in place because people are playing politics. Oh, where do we go with this one? They are not willing to do what's required of them by law because by law they are required to have legal reason to be here. If you apply for an asylum, you're supposed to have a legitimate asylum claim. They know they don't. People are being taught what words to use to seek asylum. Go back, and I, you know, this goes back in my life many years. Back in the 1970s, when Jimmy Carter made a deal with Fidel Castro, who was then the leader of Cuba, to allow Cubans that wanted to come to the states legal refuge. And there was a rule in place since the 1970s that was ended during the Obama administration. It might have been in 2010 or 2011 um, where the Obama administration ended what was known as the wet foot, dry foot rule. And so Cubans knew that if they could get to dry land in the U.S., whether they came you know, on the boats into southern Florida and, or through the Gulf of Mexico anywhere or if they were able to fly into Mexico and walk into the U.S., all they had to do was walk up to a federal agent and, or any law enforcement agent and say, I am a political refugee from Cuba. I am here seeking asylum. And you were granted asylum. It was considered by the United States government a legitimate claim. We don't have that with them anymore. So Cubans are being turned back. 
So they're not people that are not following the law. You can't say they are willing to do what's legally required of them. I will agree and I do agree. Our immigration system needs to be revamped. But we do not have this mass crossing of our borders because our immigration system needs to be fixed. And when the vice president says we need a law to be made, we need laws to be enforced. If we were simply enforcing existing immigration laws, this would be dramatically diminished. People understand and they believe if you watch the border crossers that have been that have been called upon by the media, they all believe they are being invited here by this administration. They believe this administration is inviting them to just cross the border and everything's going to be okay. The cartels are fostering that because the cartels are making millions of dollars bringing people here, and it's wreaking havoc across the southern border of the United States and, according to the states of emergency that is being declared in places um, like Chicago and other other cities – by the way, other mayors in the suburbs of Chicago are furious. You want to know why? Because Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, who has declared Chicago a sanctuary city until immigrants show up and then they're not a sanctuary city anymore. You want to know why they're angry with her and how how is this for the epitome of hypocrisy? She is loading immigrants on buses and sending them to the suburbs of Chicago. So she doesn't want buses being sent to her town, but she's sending busloads of people to other towns in her state. It's just more and more on top of hypocrisy on top of hypocrisy on top of hypocrisy. The vice president was charged with fixing the border problem two years ago, and it's worse than it's ever been. Now, you know, again, I'm fair. I I know that the border problem has never been fixed by any administration. It hasn't. But it's never been as bad. If I concede that, which I honestly feel in good conscience I have to, if I in good conscience say I understand that the border issue has never been solved by any administration going all the way back to Reagan, I concede that. Why can't you concede it's never been worse? Why can't you concede? And then if you do, not blame it on the previous administration. It's impossible. People just can't. If they if they have to, if they're forced by looking with the naked eye and looking at statistics to say, yes, it's worse now than it's ever been. They immediately say the four years before this made it worse, even though the numbers were way down those four years. Take ownership of your policies. Own what you're doing. Own it. And they just don't. They refuse to own it. They just want to pass the buck. It's a political hot potato. And then to add insult to injury, they say other people are playing politics. Doesn't make sense to me. All right, we're going to talk. Metro Phoenix sees rents go down, but why is it so hard to get a housing voucher and find affordable housing? We talked earlier this morning with Dave Ramsey. He was in studio. We talked about the Phoenix real estate market. A little bit what Dave had to say about us. Next. Strong value.
values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, I want to invite you. That Grand Grammy Award-winning artist Michael Buble is heading to the Footprint Center on September 20th. His brand-new Higher Ground Tour limited tickets are still available, but you could win a pair by going over to the contest page at KTAR.com. Um, Metro Phoenix area. We talked with Dave Ramsey today, and, we, you know, Dave's show comes on after mine. Um, a very positive guy. And I, that's what I really, I, one of the things I said to him is he has kind of set the tone for people, gives them hope. You know, when someone that's an expert like him looks at someone's situation and says, you can fix this, you can do this. He's a motivational guy. He's in town for a two-day event. Sold out weeks in advance, and uh, we talked about a, lot, a multitude of things: uh, baby step millionaires and the things that they, the the um, the uh, ways that they've put forward for people to become wealthy, to get rid of debt, and then become wealthy as they get older. And the plan works for so many people. But then we talk specifically about the Phoenix housing market and people being concerned about what they're seeing in the housing market in Phoenix right now turning into the disaster that happened in 2008. And here's what Ramsey said. But Phoenix did not have a true bubble at that time. It just had uh, – it was overbuilt is all it was. There was a glut in the market. And so when the demand dried up and there was an oversupply, we saw the market dive. We're not seeing demand man drying up and we're not seeing an oversupply quite the opposite so he talked about the immense growth we've seen here. He said he's never seen anything what, like what happened in Phoenix in a one-year increase in value. Now, you did see a 33% increase in the valley in, in values in one year. I've been in real estate 40 years. I've never seen that in one year. That's highly unusual and up. Does that mean it's getting ready to come down? No, it's already adjusted down about 5%. So the net by the end of the year is probably going to be, or the end of a two-year period of time, is probably going to be back to normal. So we look at what's happened in the real estate market. You look at what's happening around, and that's what concerns people. There's two levels of concern. If you're a homeowner, did you miss a chance to make as much money possible by selling your home six months ago? As a home buyer, is this market going to soften into a place where you can buy a home? But let's not forget the other group. The other group are the people that are renting, the people that are looking for housing vouchers. We have a voucher program in Arizona that is still very, very difficult to get. It is uh, very hard to qualify for. It takes a long, long time. How do you get one? And it shouldn't be that difficult. If we have a program to help people get into and maintain their homes, we should be doing that. We are we are developing a homeless problem as many major cities are. How you deal with them matters. Uh, one of the interesting things I saw in, in well, the stories are how they handle it in, in Northern California um, uh, and in places like Seattle, uh, Washington. Uh, Seattle plans to build a homeless megaplex in its Chinatown district and the residents are losing their minds and fighting back. Um, and I want to – I wade into this lightly every time I talk about it because as most of you, if you've listened to the show at one point or another, you've heard me talk about homelessness. It is – it has a face for me. There's a reality to homelessness for me. Now, f- fortunately, by the grace of God, we were never homeless, although we were very close when I was a kid. I- I'll bet you more times than my mother ever would have admitted to us when we were kids, but we were never homeless. But I had a cousin who was, and I had a cousin who, who died in a homeless camp in just outside of Vegas. And um, so homelessness has a face for me. I am not someone that averts my eyes from a homeless person or the problem of homelessness, nor do I look at everybody and, and um, label them criminals or drug addicts or mentally ill. Um, it is a 
problem that society faces, and there are a couple of different ways that we can deal with it. Uh, we can do what Seattle is doing and enrage the citizens who have a right to be enraged by this because it is uh, it, it's tough. It is really tough. Um, citizens deserve to be able to walk down the sidewalk, walk into a place of business without being um, inundated with requests for money, stepping over people that are homeless. If it's somebody that's high or somebody that's got a suffering from an obvious mental illness, whether it's drug induced or otherwise, you should not have to confront that. And business owners should not have to tolerate it outside their businesses. There's no doubt about that. But what do we do about the problem with the the enormous number of people that find themselves in a situation they never imagined they'd be in and they feel as if they are in a position where they're never going to climb out of that hole? They're in quicksand and they're sinking even faster. Um, that's the area where we should be looking for improvement. Um, the, the organizations around town that help with this, you look at the difference between a private organization that does it. Versus governmental organizations, and you read stories like, how do we get housing vouchers? There's housing vouchers out there, and it's so hard to get. It's so hard. But in the end, when you talk to private organizations, they find a way. They find a way because they have to be uh, – they have to use ingenuity. They have to be very frugal with donated dollars. They have to show results or people will turn away from them. Um, you know – I, I mentioned Circle the City so much on this show because it seems like it touches my life in so many different ways. Um, the organization works to help the medical needs of homeless people. And for some people, they say when it comes to homelessness, that's the least of their concerns. We need to get them healthy. And, well, that's the health care part of it. But, I mean, we need to get them back to what got – reverse whatever's gotten them homeless in the first place. Get them a home. But when you have people that are on the street that are suffering from illnesses, major illnesses, who cares for them? But most of all, think about what happened during COVID-19 and the spread of that pandemic. The immense amount of work that this organization did to test and to quarantine and not just keep homeless people safe from COVID-19, but keep everybody safe from it spreading like wildfire within the homeless community. They gave out hygiene packets that had masks and different things to keep themselves clean. They had tests that were given out to people. They had tents and then hotels where they were quarantining um, COVID positive patients that were homeless. And they did. They kept the lid and it wasn't perfect, just like it wasn't in any other aspect. But they worked so hard in the community to keep the community at large, us included, in this from going even more of a of a, of a wildfire spread. And they get very little credit for it. Um, but those are the organizations that I talk about that are focused on the dollars that are donated by a benevolent public. And so they understand that when the vast majority of what they get comes from private money, that they have to show results. Now, it's a desire. This is something that's a calling for the people there. Their calling is to serve the homeless community. And believe me, you don't want this town without those people.
But they are out there serving the homeless. They are in amongst homeless people every single day. They know the people. They know the problem. And they are the best at serving that that group of people. But it serves the entire community at large. So I'm not a, an anti-government person. I just believe that we are better at solving problems with the people that have a desire and a heart to solve the problem when they are taking donated money from people that don't have the time to do it themselves, but they believe that the problem needs to be fixed. And then proper management of those dollars in that time. And there are some great resources out there. As we face this growing problem in our community, as we face this growing problem around the valley, who are we going to turn to to be a part of the solution? Who would you sit down with and ask, how do we address this problem? I'll tell you, I'll go to St. Mary's Food Bank, United Food Bank, St. Vincent de Paul, Circle the City. I will go to organizations like that any day of the week before I'll go to some bean counter of the government and ask them what is the comprehensive way we should approach this issue. We better get on it. We are not going to be far away from what these other cities are deciding. Coming up in a moment, uh, we're going to go back to the big news story of the day over the weekend. Katie Hobbs, Secretary of State, saying she will not debate Carrie Lake. That's coming up in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Over the weekend, Katie Hobbs, current Secretary of State, Democratic candidate for governor, confirmed that she will not debate Carrie Lake. That had been out. uh, The invitation came out from the Clean Elections Commission. And uh, first time, I believe, since this has been going on, that a candidate has refused to debate Uh, in the statement. And I want to read a part of it. It's not very long. I can read most of it. Secretary Hobbs remains willing and eager to participate in town hall style events such as a forum she participated in last week in which Arizonans were able to hear directly from Secretary Hobbs about her in-depth policy plans and how she would approach governing this state. Unfortunately, debating a conspiracy theorist like Carrie Lake, whose entire campaign platform is to cause enormous chaos and make Arizona the subject of national ridicule, would only lead to constant interruptions, pointless distractions, and childish name-calling. Like calling someone a conspiracy theorist. Just throwing that out there. Uh, You started the name-calling with the conspiracy theorist. Um, Arizonans deserve so much better than Carrie Lake, and that's why we're confident Katie Hobbs will be elected our next governor. We respectfully, uh, we must respectfully decline the invitation. Couple of issues here. Number one, she refused to debate in the primary. In the primary, with Ted Simons, who is the most fair guy on the planet. Um, and they uh, they use as an example that uh, the reason why they wouldn't debate Carrie Lake is because that the Republican debate devolved into chaos. Well, the difference is on the Republican debate, you had four candidates on the stage, four, not two. So they were fighting for time. I'm not making excuses. I'm doing giving an explanation. So it got heated. It devolved into a Saturday Night Live skit. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But first and foremost, there would only be two of you there. So it can't devolve into chaos unless you participate in the chaos, number one. But number two, as a candidate, if you are a reasonable, measured person that is speaking truth about your willingness and ability to govern this state – And your opponent is a conspiracy theorist that will devolve the situation into chaos. 
then why would you want that to not happen? You're protecting Arizona's reputation. You have an opportunity to sit across from Carrie Lake and expose her if you think she is going to have this devolve into chaos. You have an absolute opportunity to sit back, look measured and governed like a governor, like a stateswoman, sit back and let Carrie Lake implode if you believe that's what she's going to do. And that's how voters in Arizona see it. It's not me. It's not just me. I think it's a huge mistake. Again, I've never been a political consultant. I've been around a lot of campaigns. I've talked to a lot of politicians. And if your opponent is a basket case, you want the cameras on them. You want the camera. If, if your opponent can destroy themselves or selves, if your opponent can destroy themselves, let them. There's not a campaign. I know this for a fact. There is not a campaign, uh, a person out there, a consultant out there that would not follow that path to victory. If you don't have to, if you sit back and you are able to let your opponent destroy themselves, that's easy winnings. That's easy money. So the idea... Um, that Katie Hobbs is is turning this down because it's going to turn into a freak show. She has to answer the question, I think, and may, and I know there's a lot of people asking it. The question is, well, then why didn't you debate Marco Lopez? How you you, you certainly can't say that he's a conspiracy theorist and he's going to devolve a conversation into chaos. I've spoken with him on a couple of occasions, and I thought he was a fantastic candidate for the Democrats. And I, I and again, same with Katie Hobbs. I've interviewed her for TV. I, I I don't understand this strategy. I think it lets the voters down in Arizona. The Democrats are voting for Hobbs. That's how it's going to be. The Republicans going to vote. For Kerry Lake. That's how it's going to be. But there's a huge demographic in this state of independent voters that would love to hear Katie Hobbs speak on why you should vote for her. Campaign ads aren't going to do it because we all know why they are the way that they are. That's a 30 or a 60 second snapshot of who you want the world to see about you. Speeches are the same thing. It's a stump speech. We want to hear them. They're necessary. But where you win over voters is your ability to go toe-to-toe with your opponent and say, not only are my ideas better, here's why they're better, and here's how we're going to accomplish them. And the big victory is when you can say, my opponent says that she is going to do this, and it's impossible she can't. The voters deserve to hear that. And I think this is going to be very damaging to the Hobbs campaign with independent voters. Just a prediction that I think I've talked to a lot of people. They happen to agree with. We'll see if I'm right. Coming up just after 11 o'clock, 9-11 was yesterday. We're going to speak with a former FBI agent who was there during the transformation of the FBI post 9-11. We'll discuss it next.